1: Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings 2021 Wyndham Championship Picks. First look and research. You want to play in the best tournament on DraftKings? Easy. Hit the description. Check out the Pat Mayo Experience Listener's League. Three thousand spots. Let's fill it up quickly this time, so we're not waiting around until Wednesday evening to do this. Please and thank you. Let's get that filled, so they do not make it smaller throughout the FedEx Cup playoffs, because this is the final event before the playoffs start. And there's a lot of uh, seating implications ready to go for this week for some pretty notable names that are going to be teeing off in the field to get themselves into the race for the sixty million dollar prize pool with fifteen million. Going to the winner of the FedEx Cup. Smash the like button for the video. You tell me which of the fringe bubble players in the FedEx Cup playoff race right now are going to miss the playoffs. Is it going to be Ricky Fowler who needs a decent week to get him in? Is it going to be Adam Scott? Is it going to be Charles Howell? Is it going to be Francesco Molinari? That is probably the most likely answer to this question. But I want to see what you guys have to say. Sub to Mayo Media Network. And if you're feeling generous and you want some bucks in your pocket, Fantasy football picks and bets is about to go to three times a week on Mayo Media Network, just twice a week for the moment, giving out winners on prize picks last week as well for the preseason. Preseason NFL, uh, a pretty beatable market, I'm not going to lie to you. And most sports books are not offering player prop odds right now so prize picks is and it's like I said a pretty beatable market use code MMN at prize picks and you'll get yourself up to a $100 deposit bonus if that's something that you want to partake in I recommend that you do and we'll be breaking down the preseason games again on fantasy football picks and bets however if you leave a five-star review on the Apple podcast version of that show you can find that in the description right now subscribe to it leave the five-star review something you enjoy Twitter handle and email address you know the deal by now you're in a draw to win in some cash, one of a bunch of $100 cash giveaways. The prize pool has jumped from $500 to $1,000. A few more reviews, and we're going to be up to $1,500 in cash giveaways. I'll be announcing those next week. The schedule for golf this week and going forward is going to be a little bit altered now. So this week, obviously, the research show is back. I didn't do it last week, and I really had no idea how much people seem to enjoy this show. Uh, I got... I very rarely get rid of shows and with football coming, like the show is not going to be, the research show is not going to be happening during football season. I just legit do not have the time. And it's funny where I'm at now. When I decided to go all in on golf about four or five years ago, the most common thing that I got was stick to fucking football, you moron. I don't want to hear about golf. That was the majority of my replies. And now that I'm transitioning back into football full-time for the year, which I've done every single year, obviously, just during the football offseason, it's hardcore golf time on the Pat Mayo experience and what I spend my time writing about, podcasting about, doing videos about, trying to sell people on. But, oh, fantasynational.com slash mayo for 20% off Fantasy National. I mean, there's four events in the next four weeks. You get that monthly, you're good to go. Get that 20% discount in you if you want to win some bucks on golf. But now people are like, stick to golf. I don't even know that you do football. It's like, man, this is my- I will now be entering my 13th year of covering fantasy football full time. It makes me feel like an old man. But then I check my birth date and I am getting old. So that actually correlates pretty well. But uh, it's just one of those things. Like football pays for everything else. The fact that I was able to go. all-time like full-time into golf in the first place was because of the success of football uh, in my career that I felt like I could branch out I gave up baseball I gave up basketball I gave up everything else besides football so I could concentrate on golf so there's still going to be golf shows during football season obviously that's one of the reasons that I added fantasy golf degenerates to Mayo Media Network as well Is like they're going to be doing their DraftKings embedding show every single week I'll be doing that Sky and Tom are still going to be doing the Euro Picks show but it won't be three four times a week for golf it'll be once a week for golf from me, uh, and then the rest of the shows will be football or any sort of special event. Like when the Ryder Cup comes up, we're going to be doing Ryder Cup stuff. So, uh, we can expect full-time coverage all the way through the Tour Championship. I just want to give people a heads up. Like, this show is not going to be as intensive or as long as it's been throughout the summer. It's not going to be 50-minute episodes. Although, I've already been rambling for like four and a half minutes already, so this one might actually be a little bit longer. I try to, I want to try to keep this one to like 10 to 15 minutes, but it's me. That never happens. I have always skewed longer anyway also uh, hit up Feinberg at Feinberg 17 on Twitter I'll be doing my show obviously with him tomorrow so the schedule this week I got thrown off obviously you're watching or listening to this right now it's Sunday or maybe you're listening to it Monday morning Uh, bet show with Jeff will still be on Mondays I think I'm gonna move the DraftKings show from Tuesday to Wednesday and do football on Tuesdays that's at least gonna be the way that it is this week on the Pat Mayo experience then there's a cuss corner on Thursday and then probably another football show on Friday. Uh, just trying to get all that out and maximize the amount. This is like the big net season for fantasy football. There's so many new people. They're just starting to get into fantasy football and we're really trying to get them to subscribe to the channel because we can convert those football people into golf people. I know a lot of you. That's how you got into golf. I mean, I've, people tell me all the time, like, hey, Pat, I was with you during baseball and football back in the day in 2013 when the show started. You, know, you gave up football. Or you gave up baseball, but I really got into golf because of football. I wanted something to do in the off-season. So we're hoping to convert more people over to golf, which just means more people in the player pool, and hopefully we can get them up to speed pretty easily. If you love Fantasy National, which I'm going to be doing my walkthrough With today in terms of the stats. Once again, fantasynational.com/slash mayo for that discount. You're gonna love runTheSims.com, which is essentially a, well, it's not essentially, it's a new site that I've created with my partner Justin Freeman. And the basis was using Fantasy National as a template, where instead of golf only, it's football only. And there's different levels of membership. There's a free membership, which will still get you access to projections and the advanced stats hub if you wanna just dig in and do your own research. But we also have an optimizer for daily fantasy, pretty sweet betting tools the way that the betting tools work it's going to be props only probably at the beginning but like i was just testing it around this morning it's still in beta full launch will be august 15th but the biggest thing is I just typed it in for week one. I was just fucking around with Aaron Jones because he was first alphabetically. And you can type in, like, all of his player props. You want to know Aaron Jones, the over-under for his rushing yards is, let's say, 81.5 for week one. And then you can set the VIG on either side. So, like, minus 115 to the over, minus 105 to the under. And then you just press simulate. So we have these custom game simulations. You can use the baseline projections for each individual game or you can customize them with where you think you know better than the computer in the baseline. You have a full reign to adjust those, just like on Fantasy National. You can input what you want to see in order for it to tell you things. And it'll spit you out whether the bet on the over, the under at those current odds is actually a good bet or a bad bet. And it will give you an actual chart of running a simulation a thousand or ten thousand times where all of the out are on that graph so i think that's really cool i think you guys are really going to enjoy it so if you do want to get in on the simulation the optimizer the betting tools all that stuff that does cost money it's behind a paywall it's fan it's uh, sorry it is run the sims.com slash mayo and you'll get a discount off of that as well i highly recommend it i wouldn't be starting something or putting my name behind something that i wouldn't use and wouldn't want to go into but it's the same thesis behind this like i'm not big i mean i there There are a couple great content content sites out there, like FTN, which you know I'm still involved with, but this is just a tools product. No one is selling you picks on this site. They are just tools that you probably don't have access to or don't have the time to create on your own, and they've been made fully customizable to you. So if you think that you have an edge on this, and there's baselines that are punched in there, obviously, if you just want to use those, but you can adjust any way you want with how you see fit. And really, the single game simulation is going to print money for second half and fourth quarter showdown on DraftKings this year. Trust me on that. Justin's been selling me on that for like the past, and Justin's one of the best showdown draft- DraftKings players of the past three years. It's like Drewby, a few others, and Justin Freeman. That's it. And they make, and Jordan too, as well, Jordan Cooper. They make all the money doing this. So Justin bringing his tools, the ones that he's been using, to public access. Well, public access, you got to pay for it. But the fact that you can customize it too is just sort of the cherry on top. So runthesims.com slash mayo. Please go check this out. Great. We're not going to do a long show. We're nine minutes in. I haven't got to anything. Wyndham Championship in the field this week. It is not the strong field, but it's, you know, borderline okay, I suppose. Patrick Patrick Reed and Webb Simpson are probably the two best players in the field. But you also have Brian Harmon. Louis is playing again. Louis is really doubling down to try to win this money in the FedEx Cup. He passed on the Olympics in order to concentrate on winning that 15 million because we know with louis you know it comes through and we do- i don't know what the results of the wgc st jude invitational are right now the fourth round has just begun as i am recording this prayers up to harris english go get that win sir billy horschel finished inside the top 10 and I by my calculations if those two things happen i think i'm up for the year all of a sudden gets me right out of the hole because that'd be a big winning week for me if that ended up happening so yeah even if just billy horschel comes inside the top 10 i'm probably not back up to even i'm still on the hole but It'd be pretty nice. But Louie is just playing, playing, playing. And like, why play the Wyndham if you're already inside the top 10 inside the FedEx Cup? But these points carry over all the way to the Tour Championships. The more you can bank, the better off you're going to be. And that seems to be the way that he's playing it right now. So he's going to play like five consecutive weeks. Reed is playing as well. And he's now gone from... British Open to Minneapolis to Tokyo to Memphis to the Wyndham and he's gonna be playing the next three weeks where he is the defending champion at Liberty National as well next week for the Northern Trust so it's gonna be quite a run for Patrick Reed here I I mean it's golf how fatigued are you really going to get I'm but it's a lot of travel and a lot of golf to be played over an eight-week stretch so watch out for Patrick Reed he has won this event in the past by the way Kokrak Sungjae Hideki is in the field as well my guy, see whoo Kim you know, you know he's going to be playing. This something from him a little bit later on as well. Patton Kazire, Will Zalatoris. Then you have guys like, well, on the bubble who I was talking about, Kevin Noss playing too, Matthew Wolf, Bubba Watson. Uh, they're all firmly entrenched in the FedEx Cup right now. But... Gary Woodland, Matt Kuchar, Adam Scott, Ricky Fowler, and Charles Howell III, Francesco Molinari, Michael Thompson, Ryan Moore, uh, Slovakian hero Rory Sabatini. they are all on the FedEx Cup bubble right now. Uh, going into the week, obviously this is going to update after the week ends. When you know, especially with guys like Adam Scott who are in that WGC, basically get free FedEx Cup points. But still, he's going to be close to the bubble because his performance has not been great in Memphis so far this week. That they're going to need to at least make the cut if they're inside to likely keep their spot in, but for a couple of them, they're going to need to finish top 20, top 10 in order to clinch a spot in the playoffs. Justin Rose and Tommy Fleetwood are both on the outside looking in right now. I doubt that they will just randomly join the window. Mito Pereira is the first alternate by this, by, by the way, I don't know if he's in or not right now, but someone will withdraw, and they'll get it. Unless Rose and Fleetwood want to take that spot in the field and try to earn their way into the FedEx Cup. We know Justin Rose loves money. you think he would do that unless he finishes a hot Sunday in Memphis and gets himself inside that 125 bubble. So there's a lot of really good storylines for the Wyndham. So I think it's going to be a pretty interesting event. We should talk about the course, though. Uh, Sedgefield CC, you're pretty accustomed to Sedgefield at this point. One, 7,131 yards, par 70. Bermuda, the biggest correlation you're probably going to see is east lake although that's a 30 man field that most people do not play in year to year but other than that there's been a lot of crossover between the heritage leaderboard the sony open leaderboard and the tpc sawgrass for the players championship leaderboard which makes sense they're all kind of in the south well i mean not sony open but there are southern bermuda courses that are par 70 short courses so that makes a lot of sense jim herman won last year at minus 21 post in the year before that at minus 22 Snedeker Stenson see Woo! Kim, and Davis Love III are your past winners of this event. Uh, The past five have breached into the minus 20s, minus 21, minus 22, minus 21, minus 22, minus 21, so we're on pace for a minus 22 finish this year from the winner. It is an irons, I mean, essentially a wedge and putting competition, uh, much like we've seen from the other courses in this back end of the PGA Tour rotation so far. uh, If we just kind of bring up what the past course conditions have been and the course breakdown, we'll also take a quick gander at tournament history it's an easy course (laughs) by and large like Snedeker shot a 59 in the first round here like that 60 61 are definitely available if you have a hot putter that day now they're Easy to hit fairways, by and large. It got a bit windy in the final round last year. I remember Herman kept keeping the ball low to the ground. He has had an awesome weekend and was able to go through it. They're faster than average greens, less than 7,200 yards. Donald Ross design, that's really where the East Lake comes in. Although it really seems to have no correlation whatsoever with Detroit GC, which is another Donald Ross course. There are eight par fours. Between 400 and 450 yards, just as a quick breakdown, the best players on holes from that range over the past 24 rounds are Hank Libiota, Kramer Hickok, Zach Johnson, the Real Deal Streelman, and Ryan Almal. And if you did take a compilation of Sawgrass, Sedgefield, and Harbortown, mix them into one and looked at the average per uh average strokes gain total per round over the past 24 rounds webb simpson chris baker the birdie maker jt poston brian herman and adam scott are your top five if you shorten it to the past 12 rounds sung j and c whoo actually jump inside the top three along with webb simpson If you're curious, it's one of the few courses on tour where par fours actually have a distinct advantage of the top 10 finishers over par fives and par threes. There's only two par fives, both pretty eagleable by the entire field a 6% eagle rate on hole number five and a 4.2% eagle rate on hole number 15. I think that is worth noting. It's one of these courses where it's not short hitters and accuracy, it's not bombers, it's kind of anyone can compete at this course and actually have themselves quite a time. You can see by the average shot distribution. The plurality are going to fall in that 150 to 175 range, but you see a lot inside of that as well. And I mean, what's a 155 yard shot to a PGA Tour player? I mean, that's a big you know, what, gap wedge for some of them, like pitching wedge at worst from 175. So it's, like I said, the wedge fest. And as you can see, putting is going to make a big difference even as you climb up. Uh, That's going to be the separator this week. You you don't get to minus 22 by putting poorly. It's it's not one of these tournaments where, you know, at minus 11 in a tournament where it's playing somewhat difficult... Great ball striking can mask a lot of terrible putting. That can most definitely happen. Like Sedgefield is a good example, or not Sedgefield, sorry, Southwind is a good example of that, where you've seen guys in the past actually go out and post negative putting results and still win that event or top five in that event. It's just really difficult when you have to make so many birdies because you're not going to hit it to five feet every single time. Green regulation percentage way up at this course, almost 72% versus 65%. Uh, You can see the average... Distribution. The highest two scores are 67 and 68, with 69 and 66 along the way. Don't see a lot of like a 78s out there. And like just you know, the distribution down towards the bottom end is pretty well, pretty low too. Guys, like back off the tee here. It's not one where you have to go bomb and gouge. in the proximity to the hole is also very small. The average green size is around 6,500 square feet. So it's about tour average when it comes down to that. Tournament history the best player of the past five years. Webb, Armor, Snedeker, see, woo! Kim and Kevin Kisna. Then you got Kokrak and Reed up there. Kokrak's played this tournament really well, made the past four cuts with three finishes inside the top 20. You know, Reed has a win here, and then he has, you know, no finish worse than T22 in the three events that he's played. We take back at last year's leaderboard. We shall discover that. You know, Herman won. You got Webb and C. Wu, Kisner, and Redman all inside the top three. Varner, Zach Johnson. Varner's actually a pretty good look here. We'll dig into Harold the third right now. Just to kind of take a detour a little bit. Local guy. This is sort of a home event for him. He's made the cut each of the past four years. Two top tens over that time. It's always going to be the putty with him with Big Harry V. Let's see how he's done at the Heritage. He was second at the Heritage this year. I had, uh, that's uh, the Heritage, So it's been a, kind of a mixed bag for him there. Putted really well on those Bermuda, Bermuda Greens at Town in South Carolina earlier this year. But that second place finish is, I wouldn't say it's like overly notable, but it's nice to see that he's doing well. There is a top 15 finish at the Sony as well. And oh, Sawgrass, I want the Players Championship, top 10 at the Players. Uh, he was actually like, very much in contention that year. So you can see it's all about spike putting weeks for Big Harry V. He has has been playing well coming in, but you can just see from his tournament history, does have a pretty decent run. Sung Jae back-to-back top tens at this course, despite very poor results so far this year. Ryan Armour's another one who's made four straight cuts. No finish worse than T25. Showed up at the Rocket Mortgage a few times as well. The other Ross design, although I don't know how much of a correlation that is going to be. Who else? We got the Panama. Panama was T2, then he won the Heritage so again, I, I do think that is something worth looking at in, in the long term, just as a refresher of who was good at the heritage this year. Obviously, Stuart Sink. When is Stuart Sink in the field this time? Got to think he's in the field. No, he's not playing, because he would have been a very popular pick, because he's still playing really good golf at this point. So you got Sink, Grillo, Verner, Poor Morikawa, man. The one, the one time, I mean, I, I I'm not going to complain about Murakawa because he's made me a lot of money over the past few years, not having him at the Open Championship and him beating Spieth, who I did have the money on. This really firmly stuck out in my mind going into that final round. I was like, man, he's been such a closer in these final rounds, except for when I bet him at the Heritage and he was trash in the final round. That wasn't great. So this is an opportunity for Kirk. Um, even Sungjae, who I said, you know, again, wasn't playing all that well, was T-13 at the course. Howell could jump up once again. Denny McCarthy is one to watch. Kucher is another one who's on that bubble who needs to get in, not having a very good season whatsoever. This does strike me as a course that should play to his strengths, however. So you can just go back and look at the heritage over time and see what you want to do with that. But I do think that if we just dig into the stats and modeling, we can figure something out and, uh, I'm going to adjust this to past 24 rounds right now before I forget. Go to the custom stat model. How have we been doing with the Wyndham? Wyndham average, in my assessment, over the past few years. What did I have in there? So approach, proximity 150. I'm going to get proximity down from 175 to 200. Just really hammer down on 150 to 175. I'm going to add in eagle rate because I think that... Eagle rate is tough because eagle rate is always going to skew larger towards the players who hit the ball longer because it's going to take information from every course. I suppose if we shrunk this down to, like, 7,200 yards and below, it might give us a more accurate result because longer hitters on longer power fives are just going to have a better chance for eagles um, by and large rather than shorter hitters who play them as three shot holes on some courses. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. So four, one, uh, 400 to 450, 15%, T to green, 10%, 150 to 175, proximity, 5%, approach, 35%, par 5s gained, 5%. I have bogey avoidance in just because I like to look at it, but I am not weighting it in this. Opportunities gained, 10%, strokes gained, putting, 10%, and eagles gained, 5%. Let's sort and see what happens for us as we go through this. I'm going to guess Lebiota and Vegas are near the top of this list, along with Louis. That's my guess coming into it. I haven't run this yet, so I don't know. I'm just trying to think of guys in my mind who are playing really well right now and who would hit these numbers. Uh, Seamus Power, Kokrak, Louie, Lebiota, Shez, Revy, okay. I think Revy's having a decent run at the Barracuda this week. But that's okay. I, I think that's interesting. I mean, I'm I'm not one to just piss my money away on Shez Revi every week. It's like every third week that I do it. So I'll probably be in this time around. How is Streelman playing? Streelman hasn't played since the Open. That was pretty good there. It's been a decent run for Streelman. He's the type of, like, older player. He's not a young gun, like Tim thinks. Oh, there's armor. Even in recent form, he's still doing well. There's Vegas. There's Sammy Burns, uh, who is having a decent week in Memphis, by the way. Got to go see uh, my guy, Siwoo Kim. Where is Siwoo at, who is having a disastrous week in Memphis? He's 54th in this. I'll probably still use him anyway, mainly because, uh, if people didn't know, I got sent a cameo from Siwoo Kim, and this is what he had to say about his, the state of his game and where we should be looking for old Siwoo at the moment.
0: Oh, this is you, Pat. So thanks for following me, and uh, I know you like but Draft King, so uh, if you pick me some tournament, I would say bet at Wyndham, so I play always good at Wyndham, and uh, see you later, see end of the year, and thank you.
1: He's an auto bet for me every single week, but he's telling me, woo, I love Memphis, woo, not Memphis, the Wyndham, woo, you need to take me, woo, this week. Hopefully he played badly enough at the WGC that we actually get a good number on him this time around. Not that he's going to win, but it'll just be fun to bet him at 80-1 to 1 in this field. Although, when the odds come out, you know he's going to be like 35-1 to because this field isn't strong and they'll factor in course history. Anyway, back to the modeling. Who really pops out here? So, Power, Kokrak, Louie, Hank, Hammer and Hank. Shez, Strelman, Reed, Armour, Burns, Vegas, Norlander, Stanley, who just, actually, this is funny, Stanley has not been eating up the 450, 400 to 450, probably because he's just so terrible on the greens, 145th of 156 players. In putting, that's not great. Same as Hideki, Hideki bots down there too, and he's not playing those shorter par fours very well at all. But the approach has been firing. Tita Green has been awesome 150 to 175. Who has been the best in that range? Revi Henley. Maybe it's time for a Russell Henley resurgence. I don't know. How has he been playing anyway? Yeah, maybe missed the cut at the open, but had three really nice results before that. He's been kind of out of sight, out of mind. This does strike me as a Russell Henley course, so I can see it. Maybe we'll get some decent odds on him. Molinari's still up there in that range. Coocher's still up there. I mean, this is a spot where, on paper, in my mind, Molinari could make a pretty good run, but and we'll see about that. And this is a Luke Donald made cut week. Perfect for him. Ryan Moore's still up there. Oh, God, man. this this I, I'm kind of excited for this tournament because I've just been kind of, like, spaced out on everything lately. Let's see. Todd father in terms of four four hundred to four fifty. Kedira still up there. So we'll await the results of that. There there wasn't much of doing. If I shrink it down to top or past 12 rounds overall, maybe we'll generate a bit of a different result. And obviously, this is without the strokes gain data from Memphis, and there is no strokes gain data outside of strokes gain total from the Barracuda. So we probably don't want to be looking too much at that. If we do shrink down the sample size to past 12 rounds, the overall ranking from the key stats gives us Louis Henley, Stumanji, Brian Stewart, Chez Revy, Seamus Power, Ryan Armour still sticks. Oh, Hubba Hubbard. He had a nice run here a year ago, as I recall, before the last few holes got to him. Lebiota, Norlander, and the Herminator are the top 10. Vegas, list Munoz, Duffner, I mean, it's always Duffner going to be up there. Brennan Grace, our guy, Gellerman, who missed the cut, finally, at the alternate event. Uh, Scott Stallings is 31st. Okay, it's about all the same names that we're used to dealing with. What I want to do now is switch back over to the St. Jude and see what is happening over there. Let's let's go with the weekend stats. Jump over to the in-tournament and see if there is any outliers. I haven't really dug much into the in-tournament stats from this event. I just know that Siwoo and Sergio were putting like absolute dog shit, so that shouldn't surprise me, but that's what the case was. Strokes gained approach leaders for the weekend. Burger can't putt. That's been a problem with him as a guy who has money on Burger right now. Uh, English is second in strokes gained approach, tied with Bryson going into the final round. Thomas is pulling a classic Justin Thomas. all the approach can't putt. He's going to win one of these fucking playoff events you just know he is he's gonna have a hot putting week and that's gonna be the end of it Matsuyama has bled almost four strokes on the green maybe he is the lean right now for Wyndham. thinking about it it should be a really good course for him I feel like he plays this tournament a lot and has not had a lot of great results there I mean the approach has been fire all the way through wind him windham miscut 11th third miscut miscut 15th it's never really putted or chipped well there but if the approach continues to go on the same way you got to watch out for hideki here you do worry that the putter does hold him back in an event like the windham because it's one of those ones where you probably need to gain five or six strokes on the green in order to do anything hopefully harris english can keep up this hot putting where's billy ho billy ho just having a pretty like overall decent week uh nothing great but the chipping hasn't really cost him. You know, he's driving it well. The approaches are pretty good. Putting it well. Will zell is in the field. He's starting to do everything well again. He's minus 11 going into the final day. Who are the bad putters this week? Oh, my God, Siwoo. Minus 7.6 strokes putting. He's through, five, he's through nine holes in his final round as I'm recording this. Obviously, the approach, minus 7.5. But I, I feel like I can't let this worry me about Siwoo. I mean, he could definitely most have a bad week, but... A withdraw a terrible performance is just not something I'm too concerned about with him because he just flips it so often. Oh, good. Good for you, Sergio. Just having another immaculate ball striking week and can't putt or even chip to save your life. Who is in the field next week, though? I can't remember if Ortiz is playing or not, but the ball striking has been excellent for him. Uh, can't chip or putt this week. Harmon not putting at all, just not playing well, but he'll be one of the favorites going into next week. It's been all chipping for Kevin Na as we take a look at it, although Kevin Na and the Wyndham should be a decent fit based on his profile. Sungjae, okay, here we go. This is actually encouraging for me to see to keep a decent number off of him. Gaining off the tee, gaining on approach, losing chipping, and losing putting. Uh, that should flip, you would think. He's not going to... You can't keep a good man down for long on Bermuda grass greens, losing 2.4 strokes putting. If he can get himself into the weekend, we might actually catch a pretty decent number on Sung Jay at the Wyndham, because he's sort of out of sight, out of mind at the moment. Uh, Herman, after a nice you know, 27-hole run at this event, has kind of turned back into Jim Herman. It's all just chipping for him at the moment. That's not great. Uh, bad driving from Kokrak, but everything else, story checks out for him, so... I wouldn't hate him for a three-time winner. Could he be? Could he and Harris English become third-time winners on the PGA Tour this year? That would be pretty striking. Bad driving for Sam Burns this week. Wolfie, oh poor Wolfie, minus four on approach. His approach has actually been pretty good. I don't know if I'll get on him at the Wyndham, but Webb minus four point seven strokes gained approach. That's got to be his lowest in a really long time. Now I now I need to go look at this for Webley. -4.7 memorial in 2020 -5 point three then he rebounded the next week actually at this event or his next time out at this event and gained four point two so the last time he lost so many when was the last time he lost I guess he he's come in losing strokes on approaching consecutive events but it wasn't all that much he lost at WGC Mexico before the pandemic and then coming out of the pandemic so it's been a really long time for him Northern Trust and Dell in the 2018 playoffs would be another time that's happened for him so we might get a nice decent buy low spot on Webb Simpson if he can figure out these irons, but it does seem like there's something legit wrong with him. Harris English has officially entered. He has taken the Webb Simpson void, like the resurgence of Webb Simpson becoming a top 10 player in the world. That happened, and now Harris English has essentially grabbed that role from him with his play over the past 18 months. Essentially, just before the pandemic and through the pandemic has been Harris English time, so he has gained that role of resurgent, like not older, but like a guy who was good a few years ago, lost it, came back. Uh, That is Harris English occupying that role um From the very elite of the American side, so that's interesting to see anyone else playing. Reed, ah, Reed can't drive the ball for shit, but he's putting well, and the approaches aren't a you know disaster, so not too concerned about that. Maybe Reed is worth a look too. guess we can kind of guess the odds on some of these players. It's going to be a really difficult field because I think there's going to be players that get added in, but I'm thinking that Louis, Webb, and Reed has got to, and Hideki obviously. Are probably gonna be your favorites. Kokrak. Yeah, Kokrak's gotta be a part of this as well. Coke he's probably on a mini tier with like Will Z, Bubba, Reed, Zalatoris. I wonder if they'll overprice Ricky. Because he needs a good week and people will want him to have a good week. He's going to generate a lot of betting interest either way. And this is a good course for Ricky, obviously. He's just not playing the greatest right now. As evidenced by his ranking in the FedEx Cup standings. He entered this week 125th and he's not playing. He really should have played the Barracuda. Not that he's not going to get into all these fields next year because he's Ricky Fowler. He'll get every sponsor's invite. And he'll still qualify for a bunch of these tournaments based on past history and success on the PGA Tour. But you think he'd probably want to make the playoffs. Not that it's going to make him any better or worse because of that. Uh, Henley will be on the next tier down. See, whoo, will be on that next tier down. So, I wonder if Sungjae will be a part of this third tier of the betting odds or the Kokrak, Will Zalatoris, Harmon tier. I'm going to throw Harmon into that mix, too. So then we have, who else? Kirk, Wolf, Bubba, Reed. Yeah, it's not the greatest field. Ryan Moore, Michael Thompson. Yeah, Adam Scott is playing. He'll just get name recognition odds along with Ricky. So he'll probably be out there. So the official guesses for the Wyndham Championship. I'm gonna go with Louie at twelve to one, Webb at fourteen to one, Reed at fourteen to one, Hideki at fourteen to one. Some might be lower, some might be higher. It might be Louis and Webb at 12, Hideki and Webb at 12, Louis at 14, but I think that's the range that they're going to be in. If you can catch a Webb, Reed, or Hideki at like 18 or lower, that might be the play. I'm going to say that Kokrak and Zalatoris are going to be 22, with Brian Herman at 25. Yes. This is the sort of field that we're dealing with this week. And then we'll have Siwoo, Sungjae, Scott, and Fowler, 35, 35, 35, and 40. You'll probably get Henley at 35 or 40. Who else are we looking at? Is there a name that I'm not remembering that I have probably brought up? Let's just give it one more dig in. Brennan Grace is playing in this field too, I think he could be a decent look as a former winner of the heritage with the way that he's playing so far this season. I I'll bet he comes in around like 40, 45 to one, but where he hasn't had you know, the most success recently, like just in the immediate past. no, he's not playing uh, Henley. yeah. No, Henley is playing. Grace is playing. So those are two guys that you could potentially go to in this event. I'm just going to go to strokes gain total to make sure that I'm not missing anyone. You're going to get like uh Seamus power. will probably be like 45 to one. Lebiota 55 to 1 Vegas you might get it 50 to 1 Herman and Bubba probably in that like 50 to 60 to 1 type range Chuck Schwartzel playing pretty well recently as well in terms of strokes gain total could be a decent look at this course and you'll get like the Reeves, the Kisners that type of player Mackenzie Hughes Zach Johnson they'll all fall between like your 50 and 75 depending on the book you should use you should be using DraftKings Sportsbook but there could be better numbers out there as well (laughs) On the line right now from ftnfantasy.com, it is Derek Brown, who has penned one of these articles for new coordinators and coaches for Have You Done Every Single Team Yet?
2: (laughs) I think I'm somewhere in the 20s, Pat. I mean, I'm getting close. Uh, We're not there yet, but uh, inching closer day by day. Coming out with one of these daily, Monday through Friday. So I think the series wraps up next Thursday, if I'm not correct off
1: the top of my head. All right. So, Derek, let's start at the very top alphabetically. That is, Arthur Smith is the new head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. And he replaces Dan Quinn and Raheem... What was it? Oh, yeah. Sideshow Raheem Morris. Totally just spaced on his name. God, Got to drop like three Simpsons references in the first two minutes of the show. We're off to a hot start, Debo. How is this going to affect things? Because... We looked at the efficiency of the Tennessee offense with Arthur Smith as the offensive coordinator, how he rejuvenated Ryan Tannehill. But I do recall them running on first down on every single series. Now, maybe it's because they had Derrick Henry, but that's not what we want to see in Atlanta.
2: So I think with Arthur Smith, the big thing for this offense that's going to help a lot is the the play action rates. They're going to go up. And the last time we saw a really good Matt Ryan, which I mean, Matt Ryan, it's there's shades of how how good you want to say is good. But when we saw Matt Ryan excel during the Shanahan era there. Extremely high play action rates. I think it's going to help Matt Ryan in terms of his efficiency and whatever he has left in the tank. For this offense, I mean, I don't know how high the passing rate is going to be. I mean, everybody's out there talking about, okay, we should be buying into Ridley, Kyle Pitts, like all these different players. And I'm not pushing back against that. But you're talking about with Tennessee and the high rushing rates – I think the rushing rates could be a little bit higher than a lot of people want to see, considering if you're buying Atlanta's passing attack. Now, are they going to be top five? Probably not, but I think somewhere league average is, is probably about right. I think the pace is also going to pick up here, Pat. I mean, last year Atlanta wasn't blazing trails, but Arthur Smith, even though it was a run-first offense in Tennessee, top 10 in pace across the board, regardless of script, total pace, whatever you want to look at it was good thing. So I think there's a lot of like to chew on here for Atlanta and a lot of like good things that we can forecast at least for the Falcons regarding the system
1: so are we thinking that Arthur Smith is just going to implement his offense I assume that's going to be the case because that's why he was hired as the head coach do you find it hard to differentiate between the scheming styles and projecting forward between a head coach and a new offensive coordinator in this situation or is this just going to be Smith's offense and then the offensive coordinator replacing Dirk Cutter is just going to be like yeah I'm going to implement that
2: I think every team's a little bit differently. Like with some of these more offensive-minded head coaches, I lean a little bit towards them and kind of what looking through their history, what they've done with personnel and things of that nature. Like everybody's talking about, okay, well, Arthur Smith's going to run a lot of 12. Okay. That's what he did in Tennessee. I think that the personnel is going to lend itself that yes, he does that, but is he a head coach that is really more like, okay, square peg round hole. Let's just try to like force my system. I considering all the things on paper, his pace, play action, what he's done with the players that he's been given when he was in Tennessee, I think that he's more readily available to adjust his system versus some other coaches that we've seen are not necessarily willing to do that regardless of where they go and the team that they're on. Do we
1: think that... It was because of Derrick Henry that we saw a lot of this first down rushing rate and a complete lack of passing to the running backs, because that's just not how they wanted to utilize him. So we see Mike Davis in Atlanta right now. And as we are speaking, he is still what appears to be the full-time starter for the Falcons. That do you envision him getting 20 touches a game, whether like, is it just going to be rushing or will they utilize Mike Davis's pass catching ability a little bit more than they did with Derrick Henry and show, you know, a few more different looks than maybe we saw with Tennessee where, you know, it was Henry up the middle or essentially it's like slants and bombs down the field. And I I just don't necessarily think that's how the Falcons offense is probably geared to run. I think that utilizing, Davis a bit more where maybe he's not getting 20 carries a game, but he's getting like 12 carries a game, but he might also see five targets out of the backup. Maybe that's wishful thinking for someone who thinks that Mike Davis could be a really good fantasy and impact fantasy player at his current price tag, not like a top 10 guy or anything like that. But mm-hmm. if they do utilize him that way, that'd be great for fantasy.
2: I, I agree. I mean, I, I see a lot of the same things for Mike Davis. I don't think that he's going to be a Derrick Henry type where he's getting 20, 25 rushes per game. I think that we could see some of these other backs, like, worked in here. Now, he's still going to be the primary and the obvious primary. But I I agree with you. I think that 12 to 15 touches per game on the ground is more – it's closer to what I envision for this offense because they're set up – like, Derrick Henry is a unicorn. Like, he is one of a kind in the NFL. Size, speed, being able to hold up to that type of workload – Mike Davis is 28. We've never seen him hold up to a substantial workload over now. We're talking about 17 games. So I think that Arthur Smith, again, I'm giving him a lot of credence and saying there is more rationality to this coaching than other places. I think that the workload is going to be good for Mike Davis, and I think we're going to see more targets than Derrick Henry ever saw because Mike Davis has shown he can catch passes. Derrick Henry has never shown us that, and Tennessee showed us over multiple seasons – regardless of his breakaway ability on the ground, they were not going to do that. So I mean, eventually you have to look at that type of signal and say, "Okay, well, as much as we want that in fantasy, it's just not going to be. So I think Davis is going to catch more passes than Henry ever did.
1: The Detroit Lions have taken a true alpha as their head coach with Tarzan Dan Campbell. But they've also brought in the awful Anthony Lynn to be their offensive coordinator. They have a new quarterback. All of their best players are now gone, except for TJ Hawkinson, who is still there. Being a former tight ends coach, you'd think that Dan Campbell would try to at least implement a very tight end heavy offense. You know, try to look out for his guys. But what can we expect from Anthony Lynn, because I'm doing a series a little bit later on, uh, probably in a week or two, about the no buzz players, about like distressed assets. And it feels like DeAndre Swift has fallen into that right now. But it just seems like Dan Campbell wants to play football like it's 1971, which leads me to believe they're going to run the ball a ton, because you know Anthony Lynn wants to do that.
2: I think they're going to run and they're going to lean on their running backs a lot in this offense. Now, DeAndre Swift, I think that He's got a really razor thin set of projections and his outcomes, like for him to pay off on top 15 and and be the type of player that a lot of people are drafting him to be. And I know reports came out the other day about him being the bell cow and things of that nature. I I think DeAndre Swift can be fantastic this year. My worries with DeAndre Swift is even though Jared Goff is immobile, we didn't see him checking down last year. And Anthony Lynn's scheme has shown, yes, they want to utilize running backs in the passing game, and they're going to run the ball. My worry here is, is what do they do when they get inside the red zone? Like, we're not projecting this to be a good offense, uh, not a lot of scoring opportunities. So I think Jamal Williams is going to be factoring in here, one in the passing game and two in the red zone, more than a lot of people want to see. Although I do see the, the range of outcomes for DeAndre Swift to pay off it's just a little bit riskier than I think a lot of people are saying, but I think this is going to be an offense that runs through their running backs. Wow. That's, it's a wonderful phrase, <laughs> but Anthony Lynn has shown that like, he's willing to make them the engine because what do they have for wide receivers, Pat? Like we're talking about Brashad Perriman, Tyrell Williams, a certain, like some people talking about them. Oh, they might be a value. And I'm like, to who would Jared golf, a quarterback, that's not willing. That's like showing you he's, Allergic to throwing outside the numbers. He's scared to do it. His eight outs dropped to the the last three seasons. Like these wide receivers are not going to be massive factors in this offense, regardless of how Lynn runs it and the quarterback situation.
1: I'm just thinking about it right now. So I'm on Run the Sims. I've done my projections. And like I said, anyone out there can sign up for a free membership at runthesims.com. If they just want to fuck around with the projections and create their own cheat sheets, that doesn't cost anything. You can do that for free up on the site right now. So check out runthesims.com. But the way that I have it allocated right now. So I have the Lions running just over a thousand plays this season in 17 games, which is on sort of the low end of the spectrum in terms of offenses, despite the fact that they're probably going to have the ball. A lot because their defense will be giving up a ton of points. Maybe not. Maybe their defense is actually improved for once. We'll see. The offensive line's not bad. I had them at a 47% rushing rate, which I think is the highest of any team besides San Francisco, in my projections at least. That translates to 36 touchdowns and around a 42% rushing touchdown rate. So there's not a lot of touchdowns to go around. Now, this is what I found really interesting once I punched in what I thought the good allocation for target share and rushing share was in this offense. Because, you know, I have Goff at 11% of the rushes. Maybe that's a bit high, but I just want to put that baseline in there to see what would happen. So I've swift at 46% of the rushing share of this team. Does that sound about right? It sounds about right. I mean, considering the splits that
2: we've seen over previous Anthony Lynn offenses, uh, Eckler versus the other early down running backs last year and prior iterations with Austin Eckler and Melvin Gordon, even if you go all the way back to Buffalo and the two back system he ran there. It sounds about right. I mean, I think that um, you're looking at about a 50 50 split. Maybe that leans more towards Jamal Williams. um, If he shows that he can be effective behind a really good offensive line.
1: So I have Swift at 46 and Jamal Williams at 38% in terms of rushing share. In terms of passing share, I have Swift at a 12% clip of the targets with Jamal Williams at 7%. Now, the biggest shift that I put in here was that Swift, I have given 63% of the rushing touchdowns to, where I only have Jamal Williams at 23%. That inverts itself. And then all of a sudden, we got a real problem with DeAndre Swift's fantasy value. But that's a pretty... (laughs) Decent baseline, I think, a 46% rushing share, a market share of 12% of the targets. That would make him running back 12 for the year in half-point PPR. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I think we're, the, the the small divide that I have on it is I think it could be closer to a 50-50 um, regarding the rushing touchdowns. Like, I think that Jamal Williams, at least what we saw with Anthony Lynn, I mean, nine healthy games for Austin Eckler last year. If we're talking about Swift gets the Eckler role in this offense— then in those nine games, we saw Eckler at 18 red zone rushing attempts versus you saw Joshua Kelly, Kalen Balazs, who are not blowing the socks off of anybody as far as talents. So if anybody wants to talk about, oh, well, Jamal Williams is just a guy. Well, these other guys are not great either. They had 22 rushing, red zone rushing attempts combined. So I think it's going to be a little bit closer to a split. And that that that's where my worry for DeAndre Swift and why I think his... His upside is a little bit more razor thin. Like, I think the pass game work is sewed in, but I don't think that, at least I think the touchdowns could sway a little bit more towards Williams.
1: Yeah, well, if we do that and just say we change the projection, the only thing that we say is that we drop down DeAndre Swift from 63% touchdown rate to, let's call it, a 25% rushing touchdown rate. Like, things go not great for him in this circumstance. It makes him running back 20 all of a sudden. So it is a razor thin margin if everything else equals itself out. So I'm a bit worried about him in terms of where he's going in fantasy drafts. Like there are receivers that I like a little bit after him. Like J.K. Dobbins is just below him. I kind of have those two bunched together, but they're going at picks number 26 and number 27 in drafts in the past week. But then you have like Terry McLaurin, Keenan Allen, CeeDee Lamb, Allen Robinson, all like directly after those two. I'd rather have all of those receivers.
2: And that's been my biggest problem with DeAndre Swift. Like, I I see it as being razor thin. And if I'm trying to basically walk the line and tether this razor thin projection with DeAndre Swift and say, okay, um, if everything works out and what I kind of see in my mind's eye, oh, wait, but what about Jamal Williams versus, oh, these are locks said forget wide receivers that are going to see 140, maybe 150 targets this year. 130 is like the floor, 125. Like that type of volume that I know is projectable and these guys could get 25% target shares versus a guy like, uh, yeah, does it work out? Does it not? Is it? Yeah, the, I mean, the overall offense is not great. That I, I'm pushing the button on wide receivers in that range easily over DeAndre Swift. And that's the problem where like I'm a little bit lighter than a lot of other people doing best ball drafts right now with DeAndre uh, Derek Swift.
1: You, you said the word that we don't care about on this show best ball just throw that out we're talking about real <laughs> fantasy here oh I did 150 drafts I own everybody look how smart I am give me a break <laughs> well I can honestly
2: tell you um if everybody's out there with 150 teams my exposure to DeAndre Swift is going to be really really
1: minuscule. so just put that in for context as well all right Jacksonville, Urban Meyer comes in to replace Doug Marone. Darren Bevel is the new offensive coordinator, replacing Jay Gruden. They also have a brand new quarterback with the number one pick in the draft, a brand new running back to at least split time, or maybe somehow work as like a slot receiver with Travis Etching and James Robinson returning off his fantastic rookie season. We'll see what his workload is going to be. But I think the biggest impact here, and I mean, your co-host of Fade the Chalk, Adam Pfeiffer, is a big Marvin Jones guy. And with Bevel coming from Detroit, and bringing essentially Marvin Jones with him. I still think that Marvin Jones is probably on pace to be the number one fantasy wide receiver on this team.
2: I, I don't think that he I he easily could be put it that way. Like I, I'm not going to push back against you on that one. Um, the way that I see Jacksonville possibly working out this year in terms of target shares. I think the way that we're viewing Cincinnati in a lot of different aspects like there's three good wide receivers. All of them could get anywhere between 19 to 22% of the targets. And really, then we're talking about touchdown variants and who's going to be the best guy. I think Jacksonville could work out in a similar fashion. If not, I mean, if they run, they're not going to run a lot of 12 because they don't have the tight ends. And no Tim Tebow, I don't even know if he makes it out of camp. So I, I don't see them as running a lot of two wide receiver sets unless they run a lot of 21 personnel and get both these backs on the field at the same time. But I think that these wide receivers, I, I think Marvin Jones could be the guy that leads the team. Like he's got a history with this offensive system. We know he's not coming off the field if they go to wide receivers and twenty-one personnel and get the backs involved even more. Heck, he's not going to play in the slot. Like that's probably Visca's role. And so, Shark Marvin Jones. I mean, why don't we just take the discount on Marvin Jones on a guy that I? I'm with you. I don't think that he's washed. I don't think he's passed, even though he's not young. He played well last year when he was asked to be the number one in Detroit. He's going in the one teens to one twenties range. Like he's like two to three rounds maybe even more in a lot of like other casual leagues after LaVisca Chenault, after DJ Chark. Marvin Jones could be the best value out of this wide receiver core.
1: Yeah, right now I have them all projected fairly similarly because I haven't gone in and done my manual adjustments, but I think the big thing that I'm looking at right now, like I have them all essentially an 18 to 20% target share between the three of them. And I think that Chenault's just overrated to begin with because people who write about fantasy really like him, but nothing would, besides like Twitter clips of him stiff-arming people like twice a season, I don't really know what he's actually done versus Marvin Jones, who I've seen be pretty damn good for the past seven years
2: yeah I mean I like LaVisca the problem is that his ADP is creeping up and up and up I mean I I, because of a lot of it like we're all out in the streets talking about him but I mean I I think there's a path to him being the number one guy now is that again we're talking about what does that really mean like does he get a 22 percent target share versus 21 for the other two wide receivers is it still we're just splitting hairs Um, If you look at a lot of other metrics like yards per route run versus via the slot last year, he was really, really stinking good. And we've seen Urban Meyer run a lot of his offense. Now, I'm not going to go with the easy low-hanging fruit that everybody picks in Curtis Samuel. But in his final year at Ohio State, he ran his passing offense through the slot with Paris Campbell. Now, are LaVisca Chanel and Paris Campbell like the same player? No. But this could be an offense that we see – him utilize the slot, but am I willing to take him at his ADP in a lot of different aspects over DJ Chark or Marvin Jones, who some of the early reports in camp, I mean, Chark was slipping in drafts. He's still going, I mean, I think the ADP in a lot of different formats is flipped. I think LaVisca Chenault's going to go ahead of D.J. Chark and Marvin Jones, and I'm probably just going to take the discounts at this point.
1: Chark currently going at pick number 78 overall, Chenault at 87, Marvin Jones 134. But everything you well, just described about Urban Meyer running like through the slot, isn't that the primary reason to draft not LaVisca Chennault but Travis Etienne?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the viability that you're looking at for ETN. I mean, ETN, I, I think that... Some of like if we're looking at parallels and in a very, very different systems, but him and DeAndre Swift are a really interesting side by side as far as like skill sets, what we're expecting out of this year. There's other backs that could really cannibalize the red zone rushing roles. Um, and again, ATN is falling in a similar range to DeAndre Swift. Now he's going after Swift, um, sometimes a- around maybe a little bit more than that. But he's getting in a range where it's like, ugh. I mean, James Robinson, I don't think goes away. I do think, unfortunately, we're going to see some Carlos Hyde this year because it's Urban Meyer, and that's probably just going to be the case. So I, I think ETN, we are going to see a lot of slot usage. The problem that I have, even though, yes, he's going to get a lot of targets, is does he get the touchdowns? Well, and that's where I'm i'm wondering
1: let's let's frame it this way i'm not super excited about driving drafting travis etienne which i still pronounce with a french mm-hmm. accent by the way as it should be pronounced because he's from louisiana so that would only actually make a lot of sense instead of it's like when americans say foyer instead of foyer and it just like drives me up the wall it just it's one or of pecan the, what's that <laughs> or pecan <laughs> yeah or uh, what's the other one? chris is another really good one, too. When I lived in New Jersey. As
2: as, as Louisiana native, I can understand all this pain that you're describing here.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I come, I mean, it's not like I come from a Francais culture, but je parle Francais, I am Canadian. Like, I, I at least hear this stuff over and over and over. Like, it's just like, oh my God. It's like nails on a chalkboard to me. But I'll put that aside. I don't necessarily want to draft him pick number 40. I think that's too high. My main point was Chenault is getting all this buzz. Oh, Chenault is going to be all that great. But the role that Chenault played last year in Jacksonville's system, they're projecting forward to this year. Like, oh, he's going to run the slot. He's going to get carries out of the backfield. They just drafted a fucking guy in the first round to do all this stuff. Why would Chenault still do it?
2: Agreed. And I think it's part of the risk that's not really being baked in right now. I think it's everybody's like, okay, he's size speed specimen. He's freaking amazing. And I'm not trying to throw a ton of cold water on LaVista Chenault, but what you're laying out here and him getting slot work, like they're not running 10 personnel, Pat, like they're not running two slots out there. Like that's probably not going to be the case at all in Jacksonville. So if Etienne's lining up in the slot, where's Visca? Well, he's probably on the sideline because I don't think he's still an outside work over DJ Chark. I don't think he's still an outside work over Marvin Jones. And we haven't seen LaVisca Chennault like in that type of role where he can win outside and do it consistently enough where we say, like, even if he gets put
1: out there, that he's definitely going to succeed in doing it. The Chargers have a brand new coach. So you have to think that's an upgrade, just getting rid of Anthony Lynn right off the hop. And there's also no, <laughs> what was the guy's name? Shane uh Yeah, that's right. He was the guy who got promoted like mid-season two years ago, and they just kept him for whatever reason. Now we got Brandon Staley, a friend of McVay, McVay's ugliest friend by far. So, But he also comes from the defensive side of the ball, but I'm pretty sure he was an ex-quarterback, which is like, okay, that's kind of strange. So do we see a McVay-style offense, or at least... The up tempo, lots of passing style offense, or does this go more towards like a Saints offense? Because Joe Lombardi, the quarterbacks coach from New Orleans, is now in Los Angeles for the Chargers, uh, and he was previously the offensive coordinator for the Lions in 2014 and 2015. I think he got replaced by Jim Bob Cooter. Remember when he was like all the rage when Stafford was good for like six weeks? Oh, it was yeah. like, oh my god, Jim Bob Cooter, here we go. And just everyone enjoyed saying his name so much. think he got maybe a bit of, maybe slightly overrated in that sense. But what do you see this Chargers offense looking like this year, especially with Herbert in year two, versus what we saw last year where it was a lot of, well, we're on the three-yard line, like you said. Bring in Kalen Bellage. Like, I don't think we're going to see that again.
2: I don't think we're going to see that again. I'm a little bit lower on the Chargers than some other people, only because I think, like, With Shane Steichen out of town, I think that he had a decent amount to do with the offense. Yes, I know Anthony Lynn was there, but we saw the Chargers up in pace last year. Passing rates weren't amazing. But with Joe Lombardi, I went all the way back to his Detroit time because all of the Saints stuff, is the, the water gets muddy. Like we're talking about previously, it's like if you're looking at projecting how these offenses run and... Okay, everybody's like, oh, he's coming for the Saints system. Well, he's a quarterback's coach. Like, he had two five-year stints as the quarterback's coach in New Orleans. I mean, we, we all kind of agree, like, okay, well, Sean Payton is probably the one pulling the strings there. Pete Carmichael is probably the guy in his ear. The quarterback coach is just standing over there, like, you know, tossing on the sideline uh, with Jameis Winston and trying to catch the Aaron passes on a weekly basis. I, I, I think that Lombardi, there could be some good things here. I think the passing rate could go up. Because if you look at Detroit, when he was there, especially how we're projecting the Chargers this year, I think that the, the passing rate could get into the low 60s, which would put them top five, top seven. I think the pace could drop here, though. With Joe Lombardi going all the way back to Detroit again, I mean, we saw like it was a talented offense. Yes, he got replaced by Jim Bob Cooter, and Lord, that, that era of coordinators. I mean, we had the Jim Bob Cooters, we had Ben McAdoo's of the world who were just like dump off and throw it short. I, I think Lombardi. It's it could be good things for the passing volume. I think the pace drops um, for this offense. I'm not really willing to push like a panic button with them, but I think I'm a little bit lower than consensus versus a lot of the people who are like, oh my god, like Justin Herbert, whoa, let's go. I think the offense could be good, but this is still an offense that's really condensed, and that they do have. I'm not saying that Keenan Allen is. We need to put him out to pasture, but. It's really thin as far as the passing game options here. We got Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, and then a prehistoric Jared Cook, if any one of these dominoes falls, like if Keenan Allen were to go down, the Chargers are going to be, I mean, it's it's not going to look as pretty. So I'm not trying to like project forward injuries, but just looking at range of outcomes for this offense. I do find myself a little bit lower than
1: consensus than a lot of the people and how they project it. So, so you have very little faith in Jalen Guyton or Josh Palmer coming in to back up either. I mean, Mike Williams is going <laughs> to go down at some point, so if Keenan goes down at the same time, they're in trouble. But if Jared Cook gets hurt, that means Parham's going to play, which just could be better better for everyone.
2: That could be better for everyone, and yeah, I mean, Jalen Guyton is. <laughs> He's the Los Angeles version of Demarcus Robinson. They're just both out there running routes and Fitbitten on a weekly basis. Not earning any targets, not getting open, but Lord, do they run routes and play snaps,
1: man. So yeah, if Lombardi was truly going to bring over a part of the Saints offense, they'd have some sort of weird thing where Justin Herbert would exit the field on the nine-yard line and Easton Stick would come into the game for no reason. <laughs> so that's probably not going to happen.
2: <laughs> and then Easton Stick runs out and he plays a uh, seam tight end. and we <laughs> Oh, gosh. That's a horrible range of outcomes. I don't yeah. even want to envision.
1: Yeah, so yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, but I mean, that could spell good news for Austin Eckler because I think that those were the Theo Riddick years, weren't they? When um, when Lombardi was in Detroit.
2: So when Lombardi was in Detroit, the first year they had uh, Joyc Bell was the primary. Um, I forgot, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the uh, the backup there, but uh, the 2015 With- year that year of all the Amir Abdullah hype
1: oh man so hold on what was that the Javid best year before he had the concussion it was I think it was towards the tail end I think
2: 2014 was that and then 2015 was Amir Abdullah and Joik uh in in Detroit which that that year and that's one of the reasons I think that I can envision a little bit of a goal line role or more for Austin Eckler they gave some goal line work to Amir Abdullah who is he's not any bigger than Austin Eckler so I think we could see a few, I'm not saying he's going to be the primary goal line back, but I think we could see a little bit more work in, inside the 10, inside the 20 for Austin Eckler this year.
1: Yeah. And we had a lot of check downs that Theo Riddick was there that year. Theo Riddick had 80 receptions that year on 99 Ooh. targets. Amir Abdullah had 25 catches and Joique Bell had 22 catches. So a lot, a lot of pass into the running back. Agreed. Yeah. It was a large target share to the running back that year. And that's why, like,
2: I think that Austin Eckler, the floor is extremely high. Like, and with his passing game role, and I think that they're, like, we're talking about, like, if we're comparing apples to apples, I'm like, okay, DeAndre Swift's, his line of projections and paying off at his ADP is raised within. I think that Austin Eckwards is lighter, is wider. I think that his his ability to both capture a higher ceiling than where he's going in drafts and the floor is immensely high. Like, I think he's being drafted around probably where his floor is, and maybe the ceiling is a little bit
1: higher, like RB7, rb six if all these things work out the New York Jets have a new coach which is probably just great news for them Robert Salah defensive mind comes in the offensive coordinator is it's Lefleur. it's Matt LaFleur's brother Mike LaFleur who was the passing game coordinator for the 49ers last year I don't know if that necessarily means that hey he is a disciple of Kyle Shanahan so does that mean we're going to see more of a run heavy offense even with a new quarterback and 80,000 receivers on the Jets now
2: so that's how I, I'm projecting New York. I think they're going to be extremely run heavy. And and the, the other thing about it is like, look, New York's defense is not going to be good. Their defensive line should be uh, really good against the run. I think they'll be able to rush the passer with Carl Lawson in town. I, their secondary is going to be God awful. So I really think New York is going to run, run, run the ball. I think that, uh, again, you're talking about pretty boy Zach Wilson in town. They're going to try to protect him and ease him in, and they really should because if you're looking at, one, how this offense could run, and, two, this offensive line, this offensive line is set up really, really well to run block extremely well. Like they've got Mekhi Beckton, Elijah Barrett-Tucker. They brought in Morgan Moses. The, the other pieces they have left over – I have I'm quietly graded out extremely well, Pat, uh, in zone run blocking grade. So as bad as his defense is, and even with the pass game weapons, like they brought in Elijah Moore, and he's been the talk of all training camp right now. Like, he's gotten the buzz. I mean, can we say, like, maybe the most out of any player we've heard all offseason? Yes and no.
1: And Hold on. Yeah, It's yes and no, but it's mainly because there are so many people at – like Jet, like you hear the most about the Jets and Giants yeah. just because that's where reporters live. So you're hearing a ton about that. Here's the thing about Moore, though. Like there's a guy who's already on the team who plays his position and starts. Like that's a problem.
2: Yes, it's a problem. I mean, I, I like Elijah Moore, and I, I think that he is going to be a good pro. I mean, his entire prospect profile was great. But I, I still think this is going to be a run-first team, and I think that the, that's how they're going to compensate for one protecting Zach Wilson and two trying to cover up for their terrible defense. And I think they're going to run, run, run the ball. I mean, that's why I've been discussing like why I I like Michael Carter and where he's going. Even though yes, he was a fourth-round pick, but he fits this offense extremely well. And the Jets run like their their running schedule. It, it, last time I looked at it in projected win totals and looking at last year's defense. They look like on paper like they were going to have a top ten run schedule. As far as like, are if they want to run the ball, they should have the ability to behind what I think is going to be a sneaky good offensive line to do so.
1: The issue is it's tough to run the ball when you're down by 30 points after a quarter. Mm -hmm. And that that's the problem. That's the problem. And that and but if we
2: think that their rushing rates could be top five, top seven, and neutral scripts. Um, if they even want to run the ball a ton, even when they are down, now is that a great scenario and, and probably still highly likely? No, it's not as much. But I think that for a team that's going to try to play keep away and protect at least what is going to still be a terrible defense, I think they're going to run the ball more than some people are envisioning considering all we've heard is, okay, well, Zach Wilson, okay, well,
1: Elijah Moore, and oh, will they sign Corey Davis? Well, it should be. At least go up from here. They were 29th in offensive pace last year. They were 32nd in points per game. So, can't get worse. So, that's good news if you're drafting (laughs) Jets players. I don't have a whole lot of interest. Maybe Zach Wilson in two quarterback leagues. Just because he might start to run. And he just might be the guy that you want. He could be like, almost like having that Blake Bortles type year from not the year that they were good, the year before that, when they kept getting down by, like, 40 points, and then all of a sudden, like, Blake Bortles' fourth quarters to be filled with 30 fantasy points. That could be like Zach Wilson this year. <laughs> the Eagles have a new head coach. Doug Peterson is out. Nick Sirianni is in. Uh, your boy, whose name I continue not to be able to pronounce from the Chargers, is now the offensive coordinator, replacing no one because they didn't have an offensive coordinator last year. It's funny that they left. They let Frank Reich go only to keep Doug Peterson. I guess he was just coming off a of Super so they couldn't get rid of him but they should have just kept frank reich and promoted him because now they went and got his offensive coordinator do you see any particular style stylistic difference for the eagles this year or with jalen hurts at quarterback that it's going to be a lot of weird runs a lot of just a lot of like backyard type football type plays like we saw last year or is it going to have a bit more fluidity now
2: I think it's going to be a lot better and more improved offense and an offensive system. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm a little bit higher. I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm a lot of bit higher on Jalen hurts than a lot of people is because what you saw at a Philly last year, was totally broken. I mean, we all know that. I mean, you're running out, you, you've benched Travis Spolgong, you're running out the corpse of Alshon Jeffrey. He's he's basically running in circles out of all quarterbacks with a hundred or more dropbacks. His A out was only behind freaking Joe Flacco. Uh, I think this offensive system is going to be, and we heard some rumors about this yesterday, it's building it around Jalen Hurts. And I think that, that that's good. And if you look at Hurts as a passer in college, they're gonna we're going to have more short and intermediate throws. He's not going to be asked to throw deep as often as he was last year. And I think that if you look at Sirianni and Stike and systems, I think we're looking at probably like a 58% passing rate, which is going to be somewhere middle of the league, probably, 15th to 17th in the league and that that could be higher than some people are projecting because oh yeah well Jalen Hurts is going to run but I don't think that he's going to run like in the sense of like okay well Tyrod Taylor Lamar Jackson like I think we're looking at a little bit higher passing rates than the 50 to 52 percent that we saw in those types of offenses so I think the passing volume could surprise some people here I think the pace actually because Siriani has has run fast offenses like I and no, Jalen Hurts is not Andrew Luck but they did run fast with Andrew Luck Shane Steichen ran fast with Justin Herbert um, I think at the minimum the Eagles are probably going to be somewhere in the 15 to 17 range on pace but I think this has the opportunity to surprise people one in the passing rate because I think they're underrating how how high that could be one because of the offensive system and two because the defense is still terrible like the defensive line is good they're gonna be able to stop the run but their secondary is bad now they got a massive upgrade with stephen nelson and signing him but darius slay is still not good the nickel corner is still not good and the back end behind them is still not great at all so i think philly is going to be forced and like we're talking about with the jets they're, they're gonna be in a lot of negative game scripts so i think they're gonna pass the ball
1: more and they're gonna, they the pace could surprise people as well the Texans have a new head coach and time that you can go hire the wide receivers and passing game coordinator from the Baltimore Ravens the past two years, you got to do it because they have explosive passing offenses and just, you know, a, de- a depth at receiver that is almost unmatched is how I would call the Baltimore Ravens the past two years. But there is something a bit interesting here with David Cully because obviously Deshaun Watson isn't going to be playing. And that's becoming more and more apparent. Whether he plays at all, it's not going to be on the Houston Texans. But Tyrod is likely going to be the quarterback, at least to start the season, that... The offense with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore was very efficient, at least very fantasy friendly for him. Are we kind of sleeping on Tyrod as a fantasy option this year? If he wins this job and they kind of gear an offense to resemble what Baltimore's looked like, or are they just so bad that it doesn't matter?
2: I think it's going to be bad, but I, th- I do think that we're sleeping on some of the past game options here because they did keep the offensive coordinator in Tim Kelly, who after O'Brien said, okay, fine, I've made a ton of terrible decisions, um, you you call the plays, you do these things. We saw a, a Texans team that was top five in passing rate last year. Now, the pace is probably going to be somewhere around league average. But even with Tyrod, we know this team is going to suck, Pat. And their offensive line is going to be bad. They're going to have to throw the ball. And I'm not saying they're going to throw a ball a, a ton. But I think that that we are sleeping on a lot of the passing game options here, even with Tyrod under center, because all these guys are – I mean, they're they're basically free. And, yes, that's baked into because the Texans are bad. But Brandon Cooks, I mean, who's competing with him for targets? Nico Collins is showing out in camp. And it goes down with Cooks. He's getting targets on a weekly basis. And Jordan Aikens, who is there to – what, Brevin Jordan, the rookie tight end, to compete with him for targets? He could easily walk into 80, 90 targets this season. And be a, a guy that is, is it beautiful? Or are you having to hold your nose probably when you press draft at the end of your tight end premium leagues? Yes, but we still we 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 covet volume, and I think that there are going to be sources of that in this Texas passing game.
1: Yeah, I I think Nico Collins is just going to do it for me. He's going he's going undrafted in fantasy leagues essentially that. That's uh, that's probably as much of a gamble as I want to take. Maybe Brennan Cooks if he continues to slip because he is now just a distressed asset, but he is very clearly far and away the best receiver on this team that if he can just not get concussed or pull his hamstring, then he's in line for like 150 targets.
2: I mean, he got a 28% target share without Will Fuller on the field last year. So I think even if we bump that down, even in the lower range of options, like 24, 25%, and even if you're like, okay, well, Houston's got Tyra, they're not going to throw a ton. That's still, I mean, the guy's got to walk into 110, 120 targets. I mean, where he's going in drafts, that's it's a pretty nice price to pay.
1: Yeah, that's not terrible. Like, I have Brendan Cooks at 21%. Let's bump him up to 25 to see, like, what he might be doing right here and see what that puts his projection in at because I'm just very curious to see what Brendan Cooks is looking like now. Brendan, too many cooks! We're looking at 91 catches on 149 targets. If he has a 25% market share of the targets in this offense, which is pretty feasible, I think, for him. That would put him at wide receiver number 20 for the year. And I don't know what Tyrod's like now. I mean, all we can really remember from him is getting stabbed in the lung and causing... Justin Herbert, to start last year for the Chargers. But when he was with the Bills, and even a little bit with the Browns, not a bad deep ball. People forget that. hmm Yeah,
2: his deep ball rates weren't bad at all. I mean, his, his completion percentages, I think that it's just, we haven't seen him on the field in a, a, a while. And the last time we saw him in Cleveland, he wasn't great. But I mean, we do need to give some context. That was uh, the Hugh Jackson era. So we got to, <laughs> let's say, give the guy a pass. But it's pretty bad, man. Like, so... I think that we're chasing volume, I mean, e- even if it's not 25%. So Brandon Cooks we're looking at at the very end of uh, – not the very end, but, like, I mean, towards, like, the 10th round, Pat. I mean, considering where where's he going in the in latest ADP? Because it's not high, and for 110, 100, I mean, 120 targets, uh, we're talking about the floor and the ceiling could be higher.
1: It's a nice buying point. Brennan Cook's pick number 92 on average. That's a good buying spot, but that's not where people like because everyone's drafting, everyone, at least that I listen to, like friends of mine that come on the show, are all drafting exactly the same way. So like, oh, I'll take my stud running back or stud tight end in the first two rounds, and it's receiver for the next eight rounds. And then by the time it gets like to the Cook's level, it's like we're back at running back, or Cook's is already gone. But he is one of these distressed assets that no one really wants to touch. So I mean I always find that whatever the prevailing strategy is in fantasy football, you're going to have more success bucking that trend and just doing the opposite. That's how it worked for years when everyone... Like, the reason that 0RB became so widely used amongst really good fantasy football players is because for years, it was, you got to take... You might even take three running backs with your first three picks. It's like, all right, well, I'll just take the three best receivers in the league and they'll be on my team. And then I'll figure out some backups and pick up these mid-tier guys. And that strategy was super effective for, like like six years but then everyone adopted that strategy so actually doing the opposite work and now everyone's back to doing some sort of hybrid of the opposite again so just reverse that and you're probably going to be good
2: yeah i mean a lot of drafts i mean like you're talking about i mean wide receivers adps have been pushed up a ton and i think people are like, okay well how do i buck the trend of wide receivers going even higher and higher and higher and higher? And i'm like okay i mean, You could go anchor RB and that's fine. And then you're just chasing wide receivers. You can go two running backs in the first two rounds and you're still making your bets that if they stay healthy, I think it's fine. But to your point about zero RB, yeah, we know the fragility of the position and stuff like that. There are other years, I mean, we don't have to go too far back where we saw wide receiver Armageddon, where like wide receivers were also, and I'm not saying like that is definitively if you look over multiple years, do they have the same injury rates as running backs? Well, no. But can we say, like, they all play a, a very physical demanding game and wide receivers can get hurt
1: just as easily as running backs, considering. The other thing that I was thinking about, and like, I, I know I said don't mention best ball, but I'm going to mention it, is that I think that the <laughs> ADPs in best ball, like no matter where you play, like if you're looking on DraftKings and seeing those ADPs. I don't think that's going to translate to season-long, which way more people play, despite the fact that Twitter would lead you to believe that that is not true. But far more people play their one season-long fantasy league, and I would think that that probably jibes a bit more with what you see in high-stakes leagues in terms of ADP rather than best ball. I think people are more conventional when they draft their season-long leagues, that this over-like... For example, like, I don't know where they're going in best ball right now, but I was talking about Allen Robinson uh, when I had Ray on last week. And Allen Robinson's ADP right now is 32 overall in high-stakes leagues. I'm guessing it's higher than that in best ball? He's somewhere in that 30 range. Like
2: You could usually get Allen Robinson in the third round, at least the drafts that I've done recently, um, because I think there's a lot of other wide receivers that have been pushed up around him where the tight ends kind of make it into that range. But... I'm usually able to, like, I've been a few slow
1: drafts and and I've done some fast drafts over the last two days where I've been able to get Allen Robinson in the 30s. Okay. So maybe it's not all that different. It just feels like this overwhelming wide receiver strategy from rounds three to seven. I don't necessarily think that's going to translate as much to season one. I agree. Leagues. So you're going to see those wide receivers I mean, I, I fall I back down. Yeah. No, I
2: agree with you on that one. I mean, I think that there's a lot more casual players out there, and I think there's a lot of people that still play fantasy football that it's like, okay. I'm going to go running back, running back. And then I'm going to look at wide receivers, I'm gonna go tight end running back or tight end Running back, running back. I think that there are still a lot of people that still do those strategies. Now, are they playing best ball? Are they no, playing in these high they're stakes? They're
1: abso- no, they're not. absolutely not what they're doing. Like, And the really? thing is, that the players that you're talking about, my audience, by and large, are like 9 out of 10 fantasy football players. And for whatever reason, and maybe it's because certain companies are paying other people to talk about their product, but it makes it feel like it's the inverse. But anyone who's doing a fucking fantasy football draft at the end of May is not the regular consumer. They're just not. No, I, I don't disagree with you
2: at all. And that's why I think that still going running back, running back at the beginning of these drafts, especially if you're in casual leagues, is definitely viable because you're making the bet that these two running backs pay off. And then the wide receivers, and especially in a lot of your casual leagues, Lord help me, especially, oh well, God, if they're 10-team if pack, you could start with like three running backs and the wide receivers you're staring at in a 10-team league are ridiculous. Even in 12-team leagues, if, if everybody's going to go running backs, where you're at on those running backs in the first two rounds. And then you could just smash wide receivers because there are a lot of wide receivers in those ranges that we could see either break out, have really good seasons, or they're in offenses that are, we're, we're getting maybe their top five, top seven passing rate. So the target share is going to be good or higher than other players at 22% versus, okay, well, this other schmo over here is getting 24%, but it, it equals out because the other team's going to pass like crazy.
1: Indianapolis, obviously, we just talked about Philadelphia, has lost its offensive coordinator. Uh, They now have... Who is it? Oh, Marcus Brady from uh, Ligue Nationale Canadienne, former CFL quarterback Marcus Brady. Do you expect... And obviously, Carson Wentz is out for short to long time. Um, No one is really certain for this right now. And maybe the offense... Like, what is this? Like, does the offense change? Like, their overall scheme? Because at times last year, it really did feel like it wasn't the Andrew luck offense that we saw. It was the Philip rivers offense that we were used to seeing, but with a bit more effective running game, Are is that what we're going to see from Indy still?
2: I think what we're going to see from Indy is going to depend on how long Wentz is out. I mean, I, I, it's funny because I'm, I'm trying to dive into CFL stats and, oh and once you get those, Don't it's do, really, just don't do that. It, it was painful, Pat. Like I, trying to find like you can't find passing rates for these teams but can you find pass attempts for game how good is offense like okay where were they scoring well his offenses overall look like okay on paper yes they were good they were putting up points in three of the five seasons I want to say off the top of my head he was top five in points per game in the CFL and dear god for help me for knowing that um this tells you the the depth of how it all I've I've looked at this offseason but I think that the Colts wins is going to be the key to it I think that for the time that Wentz is out, regardless, and now we're hearing, okay, Philip Rivers is like, well, I like coaching, but maybe I come back to the NFL. Not saying that happens, but it's out there in the ether. I, for as long as Wentz is out, I think that Indy is going to lean on their running game. I think it's going to be very close to what we saw with after the Andrew Luck stuff, and moved, we saw Jacoby Brissett take over, and Indy was top three, top six, and neutral and positive script rushing rates. I think they're going to run, run, run the ball, and they're going to lean on their defense. Now, when Wentz comes back, I think Reich has enough of this offense, or a lot, should I say, in what has happened with Indy to say that they're probably going to finish somewhere. They're going to be very, very script-dependent with Wentz. We saw that with Rivers, like he had some weeks where he was like 61, 62% passing rates. If they were behind, if they were ahead, they were going to lean on Jonathan Taylor. I think that overall, this is going to be
1: a very matchup dependent offense. And for as long as Wentz is out, they're going to run the damn ball. Miami gets rid of Chan Gailey, who seemingly developed a pretty good Ryan Fitzpatrick offense, not so hot on the old Tua offense. So what they've done is now they have co-offensive coordinators. They've promoted their running game coordinator. They've promoted their tight ends coach. Now they're dueling offensive coordinators. What would you expect this Miami offense to look like? With Tua at the helm, you know, they have three receivers who are all sort of injured, but all not injured at the same time. Fuller's going to miss at least a game, but he's already hurt as well. So Lord knows when he's going to be back. We don't really, everyone seems to just be penciling in. Miles Gaskin in this backfield to be like the guy, but that could be a combination of like four different guys for all we know. What do you expect this Miami offense to do this year? And how do you think it's going to be different?
2: I think so. The dueling pianos of, of offensive coordinators is really the biggest interesting thing here because Eric Studsville is a total, we have no clue. He's a black box affair. Like, we we don't know what's going to happen with him and his say in this offense. Now, a former running backs coach, okay, he likes the run game. But if we see God see the other guy that's going to be helping call plays or the primary play caller, depending on what rumors and what things you dive into, Miami could be really good, Pat. Like, as far as from a pace perspective, a passing rate perspective – we saw Godsey in previous iterations in Houston. Now, he had Brock Osweiler as his quor- quarterback. Ooh, dear Lord, help me. That still threw the ball deep, even though Brock was terrible. That still passed the ball, even though Brock was terrible. Now, they were more run-heavy in those years. But if you look at uh, the the one of the years, it was either the, the year prior or the year after Brock. I want to say it was the year after Brock. But Brian Hoyer, who is not a good quarterback either, but when he was under center for the Texans... They were top 10 in pace in every single script. They were, they were their passing rates were up there. I think that if we obviously considering what we've seen out of him with bad personnel, I think that Miami could be a team that surprises them pace and in passing rate. I think that all of the moves they made this offseason and Tua was not great as a passer last year. But if you look at all the different metrics, the one thing that he was actually like passable in, like decent in was throwing the deep ball, and that makes sense considering all the weapons they added this offseason, off like bringing in Will Fuller to complement Devontae Parker, drafting Jalen Waddell. I think this team could run a, a, a large amount of, I'm saying large, but they're going to be above the league average in 12 personnel, and I think that this team also could surprise people a lot in pace and passing
1: rate. Minnesota swaps offensive coordinators that go from Kubiak to Kubiak so from Gary to Clint who spells his name with a K which is just Clint Kubiak (laughs) I mean now we're we're dangling on just weird territory with that but usually I'm very pro K's like if you're Eric but you're Eric with a K it's like Mark with a K versus Mark with a C very pro K in that circumstance I don't don't know about this one this one's kind of weird when I look at it anyway do we envision any difference between the Kubiaks? Not
2: at least on paper. I think it's to be very similar. Um, and the other thing about Minnesota is I think the defense is going to be much improved. I mean, basically last year was, it was a house of horrors. I mean, everything, everything that could have gone wrong for their defense last year went wrong. Like Michael Pierce opted out. Daniel Hunter missed the year. Anthony Barr was limited to two games. You had a rookie secondary that struggled. I think that all of the moves they made this offseason, bringing in Dalvin Thompson, you have Pierce back, you have Anthony Barr back, they, they've addressed cornerback in Patrick Peterson, who's who's not top shelf anymore, but I think he'd be good enough, and Bershaw Breland. I think that this team, considering the marriage with the defense and Kubiak, I think they're going to run the ball a ton. I don't think there are going to be as many negative game scripts, so I am worried about the passing rate, and that kind of leaks over, I think Kubiak's going to do a lot of these similar things that his father did in the sense that the run game is going to be where they live and die by, and especially in positive game scripts, which if I'm expecting Minnesota to be in more of those this year, I think it's going to be a lot of Dalvin Cook, and these pass catchers I'm really worried about, because Justin Jefferson is being drafted as a top-ten wide receiver. He is a fantastic talent, but unless Adam Thielen goes away, Even if he gets the targets, if the passing rate goes down, he's going to have a tough time paying off where he's going in drafts, and especially in the red zone, which Thielen still owns the red zone. A lot of the ways that I'm envisioning Kubiak and this entire team overall is I like Dalvin, and because the bar is so low at, at tight end, I like Irv Smith, and I'm really not finding myself getting a lot of Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, and some of this has to do with Kubiak and just the team in general.
1: Matt Canada is in as offensive coordinator of the Steelers now. I would envision them running a little bit more, even behind a, I mean, all the talk this offseason has been, oh my God, look how bad the offensive line is for the Steelers. Like, well, it was really bad last year. That doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be that bad this year. In fact, it's kind of like the Jets offense. It can only get better, really, from this point. It's not going to get worse from what we just saw, saying they have a much better talent-wise running back this time around. So I would expect the pass rate to drop a little bit, but are we really sweating Matt Canada here, or is this just going to be Ben doing whatever he wants?
2: I think it's going to be Ben still sitting in shotgun still. I mean, I think that the play action rates could go up a little bit because of what Canon has done at the collegiate level. But Ben has never been a quarterback that and he doesn't have the mobility to do a lot of play action. So even if it goes up some, like it's marginal, I think that the Steelers are going to throw the ball. And yes, everybody's talking about the offensive line and dear Lord the off-season offensive line analysis is basically undefeated. Every single year we fade an offense. So we talk about, oh, they're so terrible. Like last year it was, oh, the, the Rams can't run the ball because their offensive line is so horrible. And I'm like, okay, sure. And the year before that it was, oh, Arizona can't run the ball because their offensive line is terrible. And then you see David Johnson when he was healthy actually running the ball decently well or Kenyon Drake running well. So I think we get a little bit out over our skis on offensive line analysis and saying, and you're talking about it, Pat, they were bottom of the league last year, like bottom three in every single metric. So are they going to get worse than bottom three? Okay, maybe they're 32nd, but I really don't think so. I think that at it's it's a push, and this offense is still going to throw the ball because Ben is back there. I think the play action could go up a little bit. I think the run game is going to be better because it's Najee versus James Conner, And I think they're going to scheme up a lot more running back targets. Like last year, they were 32nd in the NFL and target share to the running back that's going up this year. And part of that reason why I believe that they're going to scheme up more targets to the running back position is why I'm a little bit lower on some of the short area targets in this offense. Like I like Deontay Johnson. I don't have a problem with him, but Juju was basically a short area tight end last year Eric Ebron, they brought in a blocker or similar talent to Pat Fryerman. If you could play in line and as a receiver, I'm not drafting Eric Ebron this year. I'm not. And and honestly, I'm lower on Juju Smith-Schuster because if he gets these short area targets, if Najee's going to be involved in the passing game because of all of the scheme and, and again, play action – I I worry about where his targets are, how he's going to pay off on having the similar target share, even of last year.
1: San Francisco did not have an offensive coordinator last year. It was just Kyle Shanahan doing everything. Now they brought in Mike McDaniel from Yale, but it's going to be Kyle Shanahan. Expect nothing different. I I don't even think we need to break this one down. That is, uh, that's exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be a Kyle Shanahan offense, and it will be maddening when you try to pick who is going to be good in any particular week. The Seahawks, Brian Schottenheimer is finally down. Does that mean we're going to see some more passing? it got to be, right? <laughs> I think so, Pat. I think
2: the pace is going to surprise people. I think Shane Waldron, and we're talking about McVay type of things. I'm not willing to sit here and put that on Shane Waldron's plate. But we have all the offseason rumbles have been that the pace is going to surprise people. And I think that even if the passing rate doesn't climb a ton, I think even league average versus what we've seen out of this offense previously and the different scheme and route concepts that we've heard also talked about TK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett have all been discussing this. They're going to have more yards the catch opportunities. It's not going to be Russ Wilson running 15 circles and then throw deep or dear God, just make a play for us. I think the offense is going to be better structured this year. I think the pace is going to help people. And even if the pace, like the passing rate doesn't have to be top five in this offense because if the pace is, it picks up, you're going to get more passing attempts just because they're going to be running more damn plays. So I like Shane Waldron's addition to Seattle, as well as they got Gerald Everett, who is, I mean, the guy just needs volume on a per-touch basis, per-catch basis. He's been fantastic in previous seasons. So I, I like Seattle. I've actually come around to them a lot. And I find myself drafting Russell Wilson more. DK Metcalf is still really expensive, but Tyler Lockett, you can get him at it. I mean, depending on where you're at, and a lot of people have been burned by him and the drop-offs in season at times and how his splits work out, I like
1: Tyler Lockett a lot out of this offense. Yeah, Tyler Lockett going number 47 overall right now. The issue is, is that I'm all in on Jamar Chase and he's going number 53 overall. So I'd just rather have mm-hmm. Jamar Chase. And that's fine. I mean, I, I, I'm
2: not going to push back. Like, I love Jamar Chase. I think that he his addition to the Cincinnati offense is going to be fantastic. They were they were terrible. Pat a lot of people put that on Joe Burrow, but it when Tyler Boyd and AJ Green are your deep targets and you're you're asked to throw deep and you're in a high passing rate offense, that's not a good situation
1: at all. Jamar Chase is gonna be a massive upgrade. The last switch in coordinator, we we're gonna start with where we be or end with where we began because Arthur Smith obviously gone from Tennessee. Todd Downing, the former tight ends coach with Tennessee, has now been promoted into that spot. Obviously, a lot of credit went to Arthur Smith with how efficient that the Tennessee offense has run over the past few years, especially since Ryan Tannehill usurped Marcus Mariota and just became this new quarterback all of a sudden. How does this offense look now and do you think it will remain as efficient?
2: I have my worries on that. I I, I do give Arthur Smith some credence and in how and in and the, in the things that he's done because he's used motion, he's used a lot of high play action rates, and those are things that I don't come I, I don't believe come from the mind of Mike Vrabel. So I, I do put that on Arthur Smith. Now looking at Todd Downing, the only time we saw him run an NFL offense, it was terrible for the Raiders. Pace wasn't good. Their play action rates were at the bottom of the league. Now everybody's like, okay, well he's just going to run a similar system to Arthur Smith. I mean, that could they could take a lot of similar concepts from what Smith did there, and considering he was in the house whenever all of these things have transpired, and and Todd Downing has seen Ryan Tannehill perform extremely well and be super efficient with these concepts, so they could be more integrated than we ever saw with the Raiders and Todd Downing previously, but. They also could not be to the level that we saw previously with Tennessee. And again, I was talking about Arthur Smith. Yes, they ran the ball. They rushed the ball a ton. But the pace was good there in all different game environments. And so with Todd Downing, if the pace falls a little bit and the passing rate doesn't pick up, which if you look at how Todd Downing ran the offense previously, I think the passing rate could go up a little bit to compensate for the pace going down. Um, overall, I do have a lot of fears on is this offense going to be as efficient as it has been previously? Like, I have a hard time buying into AJ Brown at, at his ADP, which hasn't moved a ton since Julio arrived. Julio is still, I mean, he's he's fine where you're gonna get him in drafts, but it, it's overall an offense that I don't find myself drafting a lot because these guys are all expensive. And a lot of the narrative around it is like, oh, well, you know, I mean, Oliver Smith's gone. Like all those great things that he did, are, are they're, they're gone. Todd Downey's just, he's just going to do the same things and we're going to be totally fine. And that's a little bit more of a difficult pill to swallow. Like to say that in every situation, this other guy, this other coordinator is going to make similar play balls and do all of the same things that the previous guy did. who The previous guy was fantastic.
1: And you do have to remember that Tim Andercust had picked the Indianapolis Colts as his team in the AFC South, but now they've lost all their players, and he has now switched his pick to the Tennessee Titans. So, oh tred-
2: Lord, bury him, bury tred- him.
1: Tred- tred- and he already said that he's already calling. Uh, he's already given Trevor Lawrence a nickname, uh, Trevor Bust Lawrence. So just bet all your money on Jacksonville, and you should be fine. I think. I was fixing to say, Jacksonville sounds like they're going to be top five in scoring this year. Let's go! Yeah, so just try, try, <laughs> draft Trevi, draft Marv, you'll be good to go from that regard. Derek Brown, you have your entire series up at ftnfantasy.com right now. Do you have a promo code that people can use to get a discount on that entire package? So you can
2: uh, use my the promo code for our fantastic podcast, Fade the Chalk. Uh, it's FTC. You save 10% on sign-up um yeah i mean pat this has been all thank you again for having me it's what was the last time we talked man what was it prior to the nfl draft we're talking about uh prospects and how good rashad bateman was
1: i mean that 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 hasn't changed i'm really coming around to rashad bateman now i think you and i broke down the julio trade like 10 minutes after oh yes that too yep yep that was fantastic too you should go follow Debo on Twitter. Check out all of his work at ftnfantasy.com. You can follow me at the PME, Smash the like on the way out and go get that membership at runthesims.com right now. If you just want the season-long stuff, that's all free. You just go put in your email, and boom, you got full access to all the projections. But if you want the optimizer and the game simulator and all the NFL betting tools, there's no picks. It's just tools. So you can do your own research, all completely customizable, runthesims.com slash mayo to go do that right now. You want more fantasy football content, I suggest you subscribe to Fantasy Football Picks and Bets, a brand new show on Mayo Media Network. I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you for watching. I'll see you next time.